This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. There's a big conversation happening online and even outside of the internet about therapy, Christian counseling, mental health. This conversation is asking lots of questions. How do people change? How do they heal? How do we grow? What does scripture have to say about that? What do psychologists and brain researchers and behavioral scientists have to say about that? How do all of those things meet together and do they compete? Are they at odds with one another? Or can they all be held in tension and used in a variety of ways to help people? I think that this is a really, really important conversation for us to be having. And the world has lots of answers for you. The secular counseling world has lots of answers for you. Christian counseling has answers for you. Therapists have answers. But also scripture has answers. And what I am hoping to do in this series is not force any one particular persuasion on you, but rather engage the question of what does the Bible say and how do we apply what it says to this conversation while kind of examining this as though it was a diamond, looking at this conversation from a bunch of different facets and sides, turning it around in our hand as we're looking at it from this angle and that, trying to get the clearest and most accurate picture of what we're actually discussing and in examining that in light of what scripture teaches. So that's what we're going to do in this conversation today with Stephanie Reisinger, and I will not take any of her thunder. I will let her tell you her view as a therapist with 15 plus years of experience in her field as an expert on what has been most effective helping her change, helping others change, and um, just what she's learned as this world has changed, as the industry has changed, especially in the last five years. And, uh, I think you're going to find her perspective very interesting. All right, that's all I have. So here's my conversation with Stephanie. All right, so today on Kindled, I'm chatting with my friend Stephanie Reisinger. Stephanie, thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Haley. So this is actually your second time on Kindled. You came on. It's been a couple years now, maybe even several years ago. Um, and there's been a lot of changes in yeah. the world and both of our lives since then. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm excited to have you back and hear kind of what's new with you. Um, but before we hop in, why don't you introduce yourself to listeners? Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks. So I am Stephanie Reisinger. I live in the Kansas City area with my family, my husband of 18 and a half years and our two daughters. And I am also a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist. And um, in Kansas and Missouri, I started out with my career in California. Um, and now I'm licensed in Kansas and Missouri, uh, where we live. And during those 15 years that I have been practicing, um, my husband and I experienced a um, several years of infertility and pregnancy loss. And, um, and we, you know, we finally had our two girls 
Um, and then I also, after that though, went on to experience postpartum anxiety and depression um, after my first daughter. And so um, all of that sort of coinciding with the work that I was doing, I now came to a place where I specialize in perinatal mental health. And that simply means that uh, the perinatal period is anything surrounding pregnancy. So that's pregnancy, postpartum, infertility, loss. Um, and then I also meet with families who have adopted a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and last but not least, I am a follower of Jesus and I have been for 25 years. Yeah, that's great. Um, that introduction is, um, interesting considering, you know, the conversation that, uh, I have been having online, which if people follow on Instagram, they, they know there's been a broader conversation around mental health and different types of counseling, um, even specifically around anxiety and just this whole big conversation of Christians kind of hashing out, like, what's what, how do we understand all of this in light of what the Bible says? Um, and so I'm really glad to have you on because you do have the clinical kind of experience of a professional, a mental health professional. You also have the personal experience of having actually walked through anxiety yourself um, and you're a Christian and you are now facing this whole world um, that is changing constantly, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in the licensed kind of state governed industry, you know, section of that industry, um, which we'll talk about, but I think you have a unique perspective to bring. So I'm glad you're glad that you're here. So launching in, I think it might be helpful to hear kind of what made you want to get started in this field in the first place, because I feel like this is something that you have to feel called to because you're Mm -hmm. obviously carrying a lot of people's burdens in that, in that role, in that profession, um, it's probably not something anyone could do. So what, what was your motivation or drive to do that? Yeah, it was, I, I always had a sense that I wanted to be in some kind of helping profession. I knew that for sure. Um, I was going to do social work and, um, got my bachelor's degree actually in sociology mm-hmm. and, um, uh, working in certain, um, sort of community programs. I realized that wasn't actually the direction I wanted to go so much red tape and so much bureaucracy and so many challenges with helping people. Um, And then I learned about this whole, I I had never been in therapy myself, but I learned about this whole um, therapy world and um, the, the uh, college that I went to had a master's program in counseling psychology. And so um, I, you know, shifted gears and decided to go in that direction Um, and it is kind of funny that like, I had never personally been in therapy, but decided Mm. this was something that I wanted to do. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting and unique. So, and how long have you been practicing? 15 years, 15 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in that 15 years, has there been a point where you noticed a shift in your practice in terms of what your peers were saying and doing, the expectations of your counselees, just the general environment of culture, how that affected things. Like, is there any point where you can sense like there was a shift in the waters, I guess we'll say just broadly, and you can define that further. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there have been a lot of changes in 15 years. You just think Mm -hmm. about how much the world has changed in 15 years. There have been a whole lot of changes. Um, and I think there have been gradual changes over time 
but the last two to three years have just kicked things into high gear as we've seen in just culture in general. And obviously like the therapy profession has sort of responded to that and um, started to normalize a lot of things that we didn't consider normal before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I don't know if it, that's necessarily entirely true, there were plenty of professionals who were considering it normal, but now this is becoming standard of care. That's really what I should say, is that there are a lot of changes that are now becoming standard of care. So for mm-hmm. example, the LGBTQIA+, we've got all these extra things on it now, um, the, that there was a time where somebody might seek a, an, a, a therapist who was affirming of mm-hmm. these things because that was sort of a specialty. And now there's, an expectation that any therapist is going to be affirming. Mm. Right. Right. So have you seen that in your particular practice? Like, have you had that expectation kind of placed on you with people who come to you for counseling and, and different services? Um, yes and no. So, so because there is this dynamic of, um, a lot of people are still openly identifying, I should say therapists are openly identifying them as themselves as affirming. Most of the time, if somebody wants that kind of care, they're going to go to somebody who openly mm-hmm. says that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had though experiences where, um, for example, I've contracted through an employee assistance program to see clients through them. Um, and for those who are not aware an employee assistance program, Um, provides mental health services to employees of businesses. So a Mm -hmm. business like purchase a package and, and then um, employees can receive some services. So I've contracted through an employee assistance program. That means that I don't have like any say in the clients that come to me. And that is very uncomfortable because I, um, in my private practice, when people come to me directly, like they know why they're coming to me. I have a chance to have a conversation with a, uh, with them on the phone mm-hmm. and I get to, you know, we both get to decide whether or not this is a good, is a good fit, but through yeah. the EAP, it's just like somebody just shows up to the session. Um, and so in that sense, I have had um, some situations where it's like this, this would not have been a good fit normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, in the past, I, um, I have actually had a couple of teen clients Um, whereas there was a time where I was working a lot with kids and teens. Um, I've had a couple of teen clients whose parents brought them to me specifically because they were, um, saying that they were transgender and their parents wanted help with them, like figuring out whether or not that was actually accurate. Mm -hmm. So then that puts you in a position. Are you aware at that point, would a parent be like, would, would they share with you their inclination towards either affirming that or not affirming that, or would it just be kind of on you and the kid to figure out? Yeah, that's, uh, that just that whole thing was, yeah, <laughs> I just think back to those situations. And I honestly, I regret my involvement in it at mm-hmm. all. I mean, I could have, I could have said, no, I could have said, mm-hmm. there's a better therapist for you. And I realized I was ill-equipped mm-hmm. at that point to, to deal with those things. Um, but, you know, one parent was very much like, this can't be Mm-hmm. Um, this, I don't agree with this. I don't believe in this. And then mm-hmm. another set of parents was a bit more open mm-hmm. and, and willing to explore it. Okay. So 
what are some of the ways specifically, I mean, the reason we're having this conversation at all is because you're a Christian and obviously you and I both hold to the Bible standards of truth as authoritative, right? That Mm -hmm. God's word is authoritative over our life. And, um, yet as you shared, there is this growing normalization of the standard of care being not just kind of up to the individual, um, practitioner to decide what are your convictions on this issue, but really you have to affirm the gender identity. You have to affirm the body dysmorphia. You like, you have to go with whatever that patient really wants you to go with. And, that's obviously creating a situation where you feel you'd have to compromise. Right. Mm -hmm, right. Um, and so what are some of the ways that, you know, you are, I guess, currently dealing with in your, whether it be with peers or, you know, the, the culture of your practice at large, Mm -hmm. what are some of those ways or even examples of things that you are, um, concerned about that you are either being asked to, or would be asked in the future compromise on? Yeah, what I'm really facing right now, the biggest thing for me is like, I got into this specialty, perinatal mental health, obviously with a deep passion for helping moms and women experiencing loss and infertility. This is obviously very personal work to me. And um, so when I started doing this, I was like, "Uh, this is my jam. Like I am in the right place. And so I've done all of this additional training to be able to serve these clients well. Um, And what I am bumping up against now is that because there has been this massive cultural shift, the organizations that are the leaders in research and in training and whatnot, they're all taking stances on things that I don't believe in and don't agree with. Mm -hmm. So for example, the, the organization that um, would be certifying me should I choose to take this exam and get certified for all the work that I've done to train for this. Um, That specific organization takes an open stance on being LGBTQ affirming and being Mm pro-choice. And and so I have to make a decision that do do I get this certification so I can have these letters behind my name that say I um, am proficient at this mm-hmm. work. Um, and also in doing that, align myself with this organization. When you um, say they're open, does that mean they they do affirm? Yes. Right? They okay. they openly make these statements. Okay. This is their this is what they as an organization believe is right and true. So you've already done the work, but now you just have to sit for the exam, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how are you feeling about that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm wrestling with it. I am. Because mm-hmm. I, I know, like, I'm competent. <laughs> I am competent at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't necessarily need these letters. Plus, as we'll discuss as well, you know, I'm looking at moving in a different direction mm-hmm. in the way I do counseling anyway. Um, but it is, if I don't do it, it certainly feels like a loss, mm-hmm. you know, because I've worked hard for this. I want to take a second to tell you about a sponsor for Kindled, and that is Annie's Kit Clubs. Annie's Kit Clubs are amazing ways to engage in creativity, 
with your daughters. So what I love about Annie's Kit Clubs is that they come with everything you need to encourage your daughter's inner artist and watch her creativity soar. It's created for girls ages 7 through 12, which uh, I have two in that category. And so the Creative Girls Club offers them a new world of crafting inside each and every single kit. They get two kits per month. So inside, she'll find easy to follow instructions and all the materials that she needs to get crafting with minimal adult supervision. That is key for me. She will learn fun skills that will last a lifetime, including painting, beading, stitching, paper crafting, and so much more. I love this company. I love that they are helping us spend time with our girls, get engaged, helping them be crafty and creative, and just something fun to look forward to in the mail every month. Check out Annie's Creative Girls Club. Scroll down to the show notes of this episode and click the link in order to get signed up and get yours on the way today. Get 50% off your first month of an Annie's Creative Girls Club box when you scroll down to the show notes and click my link, get signed up today. So amongst your peers, um, I know that like with this certifying organization and with like the field in general, I, I think, and you know, you've shown me kind of outside of this conversation, some of, some of the posts, even the social media posts, the language that's being used by your peers in this field. And it is just very blatantly, I mean, it's, it's beyond normalization. It's, it's like, it's promotion. Like we Mm -hmm. are, we are really all behind. We are just we're all for you. And we are here to let you know that we align. We're an ally, like all of this, we're, we're using the language we're calling, we're, we're changing language, like from talking about, like, especially in your field, dealing with a lot of perinatal, um, clients, like not calling them women, but calling them birthing persons. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so is that like, is the language are there other terms that you are coming up against that you are having to stand on like a biblical definition of, or is it, is it mostly when it comes to just identifying like a birthing person versus a woman or I don't know, any, any other examples mm-hmm. of that? Yeah, that that's the main one is birthing person versus mm-hmm. mother or woman. The other one that's sort of in my arena is chest feeding versus breastfeeding which is, I just, it's like so unreal to me that that's legitimately a, a mm-hmm. word people would use. I know. Well, I mean, men have breasts too. Like if, if you were even going to go along with that, yeah. like train of thought, they're all breasts, right. like they're not, they're different sizes and shapes, but like, right. <laughs> Why are we yeah, changing yeah, the, the term? That, right. That we have to make that distinction is mm-hmm. wild. Yeah. So you're obviously at a point where you feel like you're at a crossroads in your career, in your practice. Um, so what, like, what are your two options here? I mean, and we're kind of getting to see inside the real life complexities of coming up against, you know, uh, the pressures to comply, the pressures to compromise, you know, as a believer in the real world, living in a simple world, practicing in a field that is secular, um, even though you're a Christian in that field, you know, and you've been able to practice as a Christian, you Mm -hmm. know, up until now, but now it's changing, you know, and now it's like, from what you told me, it's like, I don't know that you're going to be able to practice as a Christian anymore. Like, what do you, what's your take on that? Will, will you, if you were to stay, will your, your personal standard of care be compromised in the way that you would want, you know, you know what I'm asking? Like in Mm -hmm. the way that you would want to deal with people. Talk me through that. 
Right. Like, so I think you're asking essentially, can I continue to practice under my license and, um, and also uphold my beliefs? Convictions. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think the answer is yes, but that all, what that also could mean and probably will mean is that there are, um, that I don't have the same kind of maybe reputation or support that I have right now from others in the therapeutic community um that i i do represent myself as a christian i always Mm -hmm. have i've never been secretive about that i'm being Mm -hmm. more open about it now Uh, but i also know that there are plenty of other therapists who represent themselves as christians and also are pro-choice or call themselves pro-choice or are lgbtq affirming right you know um and so i I likely will have to make a distinction about that as well mm-hmm. only because not that it is like necessarily matters what other therapists think of me, but because I know there are plenty of moms, women out there who mm-hmm. need support, who need services, who could use the help and they see all of this other messaging and they're thinking like, where am I supposed to go even, yeah, right? you know? And that's been my thought about this mm-hmm. is like, where does the Christian mom go who upholds the biblical values of sexuality? Mm-hmm. Where does the Christian mom go who believes that life begins at conception? You know, and and obviously there is this, these biblical counseling options. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If they're not aware of that or if that just doesn't seem for whatever reason, like that's the right route for them. Like if they're looking for a therapist to help them they're going to see all of these people with all of this information that they're putting out there about what they believe and think, wow, there's nobody to help me. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. Right. And so that would be what we call an integrationist, right? A Christian who is practicing as like an LMFT or a LPC, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Integrate, integrating their faith into their therapy or psychology practice, essentially. Um, I'm new to this, to these terms, but I'm just Mm -hmm. making sure we're on the same page. So in, in that I'm curious, like, as you have, you know, started to see this world unfold and the landscape change, I'm curious if your thoughts about the, even the, I don't know, the, the broader, I don't want to say industry, but the, the field of essentially like what you learned in school, what you practiced and studied for, are you getting to a place where you're seeing that differently? Or is it just like, oh, the world is changing and therefore the definitions are changing. And so now I no longer fit in that world. Or are you like, this maybe was flawed from the beginning because we can constantly change the DSM. The the DSM keeps changing. I mean, just gender dysphoria just got added, you know, or removed as a pathology, like I think last year. Right. And, um, in 1973, they removed homosexuality as a, as a path pathology. And, and it's now, you know, obviously it's been a long time. It's been 50 years, but right. the fact that we've got this like ever changing, constantly evolving standard of care, essentially this catalog of illness and disease and what's wrong and what isn't wrong and what's normal and what's not normal. Just curious from your perspective, like how you view that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have always viewed it as flawed from the beginning, but I'm seeing it in a different light now. So from the beginning, I have, I've never been friends with the DSM. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I've always seen it as a tool for, for pharmaceutical companies, essentially, mm-hmm. um, the way that it does change the way mm-hmm. that it, um, tries to pigeonhole and pathologize so many things that are either normal human experiences or are, I mean, just, I just have so many issues with it, but so I've never been on board with the DSM, although I've had to use it in my practice. I've even had to teach classes about it, um, in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always also been a bit outside of the norm um, in general, in like, I've, I've always taken a holistic view of things. And so I look at the role that things like nutrition play and just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, physical wellness and how much, uh, social interaction are you getting in community? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always taken that kind of view of mental health. Um, and now, uh, on top of, being like on the outskirts of those with those things, I'm considering that maybe some of these theories have not been accurate as well. Mm-hmm. And I've for sure from the beginning known that there are plenty of theories like that definitely doesn't align biblically. Sure. Um, but yeah, there are new things absolutely that mm-hmm. I am questioning about kind of the whole process. And mm-hmm. I am, um, you know, as I, um, as I even have seen in my own life, when I consider what has been most healing for me personally, it hasn't been therapy, even though I've been in plenty of therapy now. And there have been times where I've found it helpful. Um, but what's been most healing for me has been things like real community (laughs) and, um, and knowing the word and following the word, even when it, like everything in my body is like, I don't want to do that, but then doing it and finding like all of the amazing fruit that comes from it and the way that God changes me in that, like, how can I not then bring that to the counseling space Mm. or whatever space I'm in? Wow. That's, that's really powerful. I mean, yeah. What you just said right there, I feel like is the crux of this whole conversation, you know, that, you've been in therapy, you've done therapy, and yet the most transformative, powerful experiences or change or or transformations that you've experienced are through, you know, God's word and through knowing him, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. as Christians, I think we understand why that is. It, It makes sense to us. We're not surprised by that, but I think that there's a lot of people who, um, I don't know, view, I guess these, these as not, uh, not either, or like, well, yeah, I can, I can grow in my faith and go to church and have community and go to therapy. Right. Um, and you're a therapist, so you'd probably not totally disagree with them, but it's just interesting to hear that even for you, even for you Mm -hmm. as a professional, like that is, that's your own personal takeaway. Yeah. Um, Like ultimately therapy is not anybody's savior. And that's, that's kind of, you know, it's always going to have its limitations for that reason, not that reason alone, but that's a big, important one. Right. And I mean, it's kind of embedded in the name. It's, it's therapeutic. Like it does, (laughs) it can make you feel better in the moment and even give you some tools. And I've, I haven't done a ton of therapy, but I've gone to a couple, you know, maybe a few sessions with a Christian kind of integrationist therapist, maybe around five years ago. And at that time, I think I felt 
I felt like, okay, I walked out of there with some ideas of, you know, maybe a better understanding of the situation. Like mm-hmm. I, she helped me map out the relationships in question, you know, and see it on a whiteboard and just seeing someone else tell me what I kind of already knew to be true, but just affirm that what I thought was really there was therapeutic. I felt better. I cried. I processed some emotions like, and none of that is necessarily inherently bad in and Mm -hmm. of itself. Um, But would I be able to say that I, that I could have found, or that I did find uh, the ability to walk in freedom and the, and the, the power that is available to me through Christ because of that, not personally, doesn't mean someone maybe hasn't. I, like you said, I know that in my life as well, it has come through, you know, God's word and the the, the spirit really empowering me in through that, you know, using right. his word to convict, to change, to show me the area of my own ways, almost the plank in my own eye before I'm looking at the log in someone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, you mentioned that you were not never a huge fan of the DSM in the first place, saw it as a tool for pharmacists, which makes a lot of sense because yes, if we, you know, pathologize a normal human experience, now we can sell a drug for that normal human experience. Right. So, um, so what are some of the ways that you have seen that done or what are some of those normal human experiences or emotions even that might be in a, in a, I don't know, uh, Help, not healthy, but a normal range that we would expect. Like, yes, you just had a baby. Like you are emotional. Your hormones are going crazy. Like all those types of things. What are some yeah. of those examples of, of that? Yeah. So you're making me think of two things there. First of all, the, um, so postpartum mood and anxiety disorders are actually not in the DSM, which mm. is like, it's kind of wild. Um, Mm. I think that might change before too long. Um, but like, we don't even get to have, (laughs) I don't know, like, but all these other things are pathologized. Like we don't even get to have our own categories. Um, but anyhow, like as far as pathologizing normal human experience, one of the things that I, um, have an issue with is this prolonged grief disorder. So that's something that's in the DSM and it's, and it's kind of like, if you are in a state of grief for a really long time, this is a disorder now, hmm. you know, and that depending on the loss, you know, the grief could be a long road for sure. Um, and so it's not saying that like somebody is bad or wrong for grieving for a long time. It's simply saying that now this is a disordered thing that we need to treat. Right. Um, And so, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. We, Mm -hmm. there may be a medication for that. Um, and so, so it's things like that, that I'm just like, this is, this is not helpful. Mm. Right. Because if you lose a child, you're not, I mean, you could probably say your whole life you're grieving. You're never going to not be grieving that. Right. Right. How do you qualify? How do you classify whether that grief is disordered or not disordered. Right. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. subjective. It's all based on the individual's view of themselves and what they communicate to their therapist. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have nothing to yeah. check that against. Like what's the, yeah, I mean, there's criteria, like there's, there's criteria that's supposed to be objective, but as mm-hmm. subjective humans, we're looking at things mm-hmm. with our own perspectives. And so if we call something like severe versus moderate, for yeah. example, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly subjective sort of process. Sure. Okay. 
I'm curious, what about anxiety? What are your thoughts? I mean, this is one of your specialty areas. Like what, how do you see that being diagnosed either correctly, incorrectly? What are your thoughts on that? You've got to have a lot of thoughts on that. So many thoughts on that, Haley. (laughs) We could probably have a whole episode on that. (laughs) Truly. Like I, how do I make this concise? It's, um, anxiety is a result of, of a lot of things in my opinion. And, um, I think it's an educated one that Mm -hmm. we, first of all, our, um, our world has become, our our culture has become, uh, just not very conducive to like not being anxious, like to being in a state of, of peace, um, Mm -hmm. or calm because we're so busy because we are constantly bombarded with information and messages that we have Mm -hmm. all of this, our phones are a huge problem, Mm -hmm. um, that we were never meant to, or made to like take in so much information and try and process it at one time. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge piece of it. I think also just, um, the, the barrage of, I, I mean, that's this part of it, but like barrage of information that we now are finding ourselves in a place where we're thinking like, I need to do and be all these other things that I, I maybe never would have been Mm -hmm. confronted with before. Um, so it's just, it's a huge cultural problem. Um, on top of that, there are a lot of physiological issues that play into, um, to anxiety as well that um, are, again, like our world is not conducive to wellness. And so we eat a lot of crap and we don't move our bodies enough. And um, then our bodies don't function that well. We've got a lot of toxins that that come into us and that can increase the physiological anxiety. I know a lot of people who have experienced anxiety will be able to say like they're experiencing it in their whole body like Mm -hmm. heart palpitations and headaches and muscle tension and all of that. Um, So there's that. And then, um, you know, from the, the biblical perspective, anxiety comes from all kinds of things. Um, You know, in some ways it comes from trying to be like God um, in a, Mm -hmm. in a way of wanting to control or prevent things from happening. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to control other people um, through manipulation, even though a lot of times people don't want to necessarily recognize that, but mm-hmm. when people have poor boundaries, for example, and they um, are always saying yes to somebody and, you know, then they end up feeling resentful, but they're always saying yes to this person and this um, uh, uh, because they don't want to hurt their feelings or they don't sure. want that person to react a certain way. Like that's fear manipulation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's manipulation and that's an attempt to control somebody, um, you know, and so it comes from those things as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, my perspective is that it's a whole huge combination of stuff. Listen up, ladies. If you love having your nails done, but you hate the crazy expensive prices that you are paying at the nail salon, the insane amount of time that you're wasting at the nail salon every few weeks, and breathing in those toxic fumes sitting there in that salon, you're gonna wanna listen to this. Bubble Pop Club is the solution. Bubble Pop Club offers non-toxic, long-lasting, no dry time, easy to apply nails that look like you just came from the salon. 
and each manicure set, which gets you up to two manicures, is only $6. Yes, that's right. Not 60, six. The best part about Bubble Pop Club is that you are supporting a conservative Christian woman-owned business. Allie, the owner, is the literal funniest person on Instagram, and her stories alone are reason for you to go follow and support her. She's at Bubble Pop Club on IG, by the way. But these nails have literally been a game changer for me, my bank account, and my manicure. Now I can sit in the comfort of my own home and refresh my nails as often as I want for $6 in half the time that I was spending in the salon. Plus, these last me two to three weeks. Sometimes I'm actually wanting to change them out before they're ready to come off and I'm like, okay, like let's go, I need a new design. I cannot find a reason not to love Bubble Pop Club and you will too. If you want 15% off your order, go to bubblepopclub.com and use the coupon code Haley15. That is Haley15 for 15% off your order at bubblepopclub.com. Okay. Yeah. So there's not just one, one lens that we can see anxiety through. It's, it's, it's coming from often multiple different kind of avenues of your life, the mental, Mm -hmm. the physical, the spiritual, emotional, all of those things kind of compiled together. Mm -hmm. Would you say that there is a normal range of anxiety that is not something that we should be concerned about? Like anxiety as a part of life, like a normal human experience that it's, uh, is there, is there a category in your mind for that to be true? Not all anxiety, but some anxiety, I guess what I'm getting at is like, do you see in our current culture, a tendency to maybe over emphasize I have anxiety, you know, like I think of the 22 year old who's maybe never had a job before and never had responsibility and never had anyone have expectations on them. And suddenly they're out of school (laughs) and they have to hold a job and they're like, oh my gosh, it just gives me anxiety. You know, like that kind of a, I know that we use that colloquially as well, but I I see that, I guess I see that in a lot of like the Gen Z crowd, Mm. especially like no capacity. And maybe this is because of the cell phones and other things that their, their culture is even more extreme in that way than ours, because they're just Mm -hmm. so like literally buried in their phones. So, so maybe it's complex for them too, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, on the overdiagnosis of anxiety? Like if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's sort of like, um, one of the things I was talking about before we got on or not talking about thinking about before we got on here and I was thinking about things that have changed, um, in, in the therapy world is that, um, therapy has been really normalized. So we spent a lot of time trying to destigmatize it. And now it's almost chic. Like Mm-hmm. I have a therapist, I have right. mental health problems. Yes. Um, and so um, I think there's an element of that, that people are quick to say, I have this mental health problem um, because it's a chic, which I don't know if that, that's like a word the kids are using these days, but that's the word that comes to mind. It makes so sense. It's, yeah. it's a chic um, and B that they have all of this, they do have angst, like they do have emotional struggles mm-hmm. um, and it helps them to feel better to have a name for it mm-hmm. and be able to like fit into a category for it. And I think also um, takes away some of the personal responsibility of like having to do something about it. Mm-hmm. I get to say that I have anxiety, so I'm going to stay home and not interact with people. Mm-hmm. 
seen that a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And like, um, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said it and not me. So you can take the flack, but <laughs> you know, the people, the people who say who I, I, I think this is a real category. I feel, I, I feel, I think, you know, I have observed a lot of, a lot of that in recent years that, you know, five years ago, I, it wasn't on my radar. Maybe it just wasn't on my radar, but the, um, like you said, we de- we wanted to destigmatize mental health issues and we did that, but the pendulum has kind of now swung so far the other direction that we have romanticized yes. mental health problems. And that isn't to say that mental health isn't a real concern, that mm-hmm. it isn't a real issue, um, that some people don't have real mental health, uh, problems, disorders, whatever, but, in that pursuit of normalizing it, it, we, we made it attractive. And Mm -hmm. some people got the idea that, yes, like you said, it, it gives them, you know, and I understand this, like when I have a label for something, it does give me some amount of peace to label it, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, that's what this is. That's what's happening. Even if it doesn't change, even if it doesn't help me get to the bottom of it, even if, you know, I just had this with my hypothyroidism diagnosis. You know, I was experiencing brain fog and fatigue and all this. I'm like, what's going on? And then my doctor's like, you're hypothyroid. And then I'm like, oh, okay. And of course it does help you to know what that is to get to the bottom of it. So when it's real, a diagnosis is really helpful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When it's imagined, a diagnosis can be actually paralyzing. Right. Because you've created a pathology that is not organic and now you're living as though it is, and you're going to start living like a sick person when you're not necessarily a sick person, you might be a normal person with regular amounts of anxiety because life is hard and the world right. is sinful, you know, and it's, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of deal. Right. Yeah. And like job work is tough. People don't. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sunday, the Sunday scaries, you know, I, I know that feeling and a lot of people do, but it's, it's a normal part of the week, you know, like yeah. I could have worked again, again tomorrow. And gosh, I wish the weekend was longer. Like you wouldn't then say like, I have anxiety because I'm dreading Monday morning. Like, well, so welcome to the world. So is everybody else, you know? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I just, I think that that's an an important thing to recognize because it, I, I think we need to be aware as both just humans and also Christians that there is this trend right now in culture that it's, that it's trendy and kind of sexy to, you know, as weird as that may seem to, um, be part of that conversation. Right. And I mean, even for some people, I will say, I think it can go so far as to be just like wanting the attention, wanting the, or like you said, the excuse to get out of things. Um, and I think we all know, you know, maybe I, I do anyway, have people in my life that I'm thinking of that would use that. Like I'm having anxiety, so I can't come out. I can't do that. Which Like there is a time, like I want to be clear and careful that there is a time maybe where like, I'm having a tough day and I really shouldn't go anywhere. I need to just stay home and rest or whatever. Well, for sure. But, but what we find is like, people take ownership of this disorder or what, what they're calling this disorder, then it, um, sort of, it it prevents them from necessarily having to like get out of their comfort zone to try Mm -hmm. and improve this, to try Mm -hmm. and really make things better. And a big concern I'm seeing with Gen Z especially, um, but the broader culture as a whole is this idea that because I have this issue, the world needs to bend to me 
rather yes. than me having to make the changes right. to live in this world. A hundred percent. Yes. And that's, I mean, that even goes back to like the, you know, concerns I have with birthing person versus mother in this maternal mental health space or perinatal mental health space is like, okay, yes, there are genuinely people who call themselves a birthing person who maybe identify as non-binary or identify as a man, but they're biologically a woman. There are those people every once in a while, one of those people gets pregnant. And if that occurs, that person needs care. Yes, of some kind, that person will need care. And at the same time, what we're doing then when we include this language of birthing person or make that the primary language, we're taking this teeny tiny percentage of people and, and then using that language to replace the vast majority of people mm -hmm. yeah. who are biological women and identify as biological mm -hmm. women. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. I was going to say back on when you said, um, um, hold on, let me recapture my thought. Um, when you said, what did you say right before that? Um, oh, ownership. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was thinking about anxiety being a real medical diagnosis, you know, and that you have expressed can be due to a variety of factors, spiritual, physical, emotional, mental, all these different things can play into it. It's complex. No, but no two people are alike. Everyone's circumstances are going to be a little different, right? That's mm -hmm. why people like you exist to talk to those people, to help get to the bottom of where is, what's the source, what's the root of this. Um, and I, I am just, maybe you can help me think through this, but to me, why is it any different than something like hypothyroidism where I get a diagnosis and I can either then think of myself as not just someone who has a physical predisposition to right now being low in T3, for instance, or whatever the thing is that I'm low on, right. Yeah. Um, or having low estrogen. And now I, instead of thinking of myself as, you know, Haley, who happens to have this thing that I'm going to try to, um, not fight, but like get to a healthier place to work, do the things I need to do, change my diet, get more sleep, have less stress. The things that I know I can move the needle with mm -hmm. rather than going around being like, I have hypothyroidism, like, sorry, you know, it, it is what it is. Here I am. This is just, it's who I am. Not viewing it as something that is actually a pathology, actually something that is a deviation from normal, but mm -hmm. instead just starting to view it as my normal, like, right. I don't want to ever not there. There are definitely, of course, realities, physical conditions people have that will never go away. I know that mm -hmm. this is not necessarily one of them, but you know, do people do have that. Mm -hmm. However, when it is something that I, I just think, again, anxiety can start to fall into one of those. You'll never be healed. You'll never be cured. You're just going to have anxiety your whole life. And that's where I think we get into uh, some very, sketchy waters with how yeah. we start to think and talk about it instead of thinking, yes, I'm, I'm struggling with this now, but I'm not, um, powerless. Like mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not powerless in this. There are things that I can do. There's holistic approaches I can take nutrition, physical community, mental health things, all of that, that, that can move the needle for me. 
Right, right. And I think what you're talking about is an identity issue. Yes. And um, so people identifying as an anxious person, and I've heard people use that in my office so many times. I'm, mm. I'm an anxious person. I've always been an anxious person. Mm. And I'll stop them and say, like, I don't know if you realize this, but you are making that your identity. When you're saying that, let's try and change the language around that. I'm experiencing anxiety right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a different kind of way of looking at things. And so like what mm-hmm. you're talking about is you don't want to identify as a person who has hypothyroidism. Like this is just right. my, this is who I am now. Right. You know, um, Definitely not. That's, that's clearly not your identity. It's a thing mm-hmm. that you're going through. It's something you're experiencing. You're doing what you can to improve it. And that's kind of, yeah. like how we should live our lives in general. And then coming back, of course, to your identity in Christ, which is mm-hmm. the only true identity you have. Right. Right. And the only one that will offer you any hope or true peace in life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for going down that little rabbit trail with me. Yeah, sure. Um, so looking to the future with you, you kind of hinted at it earlier, at it earlier but you're, you're evaluating what the future holds for you and your practice. Talk to me about that. What that yeah. Like. Yeah. So, I mean, I have, I've already started, um, being a bit more open about being a, a Christian therapist, providing Christian counseling. Um, I, again, like, I know that that can be really vague, uh, for mm-hmm. a lot of people. I definitely understand that. Um, I am looking into different biblical counseling training programs. I know ACBC is obviously one that's very reputable, um, really good. There are some other ones out there. So I have been just looking in general to see what makes most sense to me, like Mm -hmm. to really research these programs and understand where they're coming from. And um, I just know for sure, like I, I, I want to, and really need to move into this space where this is just what I do now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, um, don't want to, I don't want to do the typical therapist thing, honestly, that I've been doing for a long time. And not only this, but where, you know, it, where it starts, started out as like therapists don't, there a therapist values should not enter the room essentially. Like that's mm-hmm. where my training started um, and that it's all about what the client's values are and figuring those out. And so I have found myself in positions where I'm like, wow, what's going on with this person is wildly different from my values. And not that I can't have compassion for them. Like I do. Mm -hmm. Um, but that I want to find myself in fewer positions like that, Mm -hmm. uh, and more positions where I can really speak the truth, the, the truth that I really know. To, to that person. So, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So when people are coming to me, um, they're, they're going to have that understanding that that's going to be part of what we're doing. That's right. my, my hope. And in that I get to offer them something that I know is the real, true, genuine best way for them to experience healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been, I have been like incredibly blessed that, uh, God has sent me so many, Christians, uh, Christian clients over the last couple of years, like, and especially over the last few months where I've had the opportunity to do that already. And, um, and that's been really 
really cool to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, when we, when we bring in those things that, um, like those pieces, like identity, mm-hmm. like we've talked about, um, and actually do get to talk a little bit about sin, you know, mm-hmm. like that, what a difference that makes, um, yeah. at the heart level. Right. Because like, as believers, we know that we, without Christ, we are enslaved to sin. And so many of those issues that you are dealing with in your counseling room are matters where people are enslaved to something, you know, whether it's an identity issue, a a wrong view of themselves, they're not viewing themselves as who God says they are. They're viewing themselves in some other light or um, whatever it may be, being able to get to the heart of that is, you know, being able to kind of find the right key and insert it into the lock that is around the the handcuffs that they're in, you know, and being able to say like, it's not me that's setting you free. It's like the power of the gospel. It's this, this truth and this applied to your life. This is the key that is missing. And sometimes people need help to see that. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many times do we need help to see that? I mean, we get (laughs) sin blinds you. You do get, you know, deep into situations or patterns or addictions or whatever, where you can't see the forest through the trees anymore, or you normalize something or you become numb to something and you need someone to help, help you see the light, help point you back to truth. Right. And Mm -hmm. get you back on the straight and narrow kind of. So that's really cool. Yeah. And and just a funny thing I want to add, by the way, is like, I, so, you know, I've been a believer for 25 years. I've been a therapist for 15. Um, I went to a Baptist university for both my bachelor's and master's degrees. And I didn't really learn how to like bring the Bible in (laughs) to Mm -hmm. therapy. I went to a Baptist university Mm. and I didn't, I didn't learn how to do that. And so I've had to learn it along the way. And that's where, um, that's where I'm, I know that getting biblical counseling training is going to help yeah. me to know how to effectively do that. Cause as of right now, I'm kind of winging it. Like I, right. I know the word, um, mm-hmm. but nobody has taught me explicitly. Like, how do you do this with somebody? Right. Well, and that is, I'm thankful that you said that because that's vulnerable and that is helpful for those people who would be searching for a Christian therapist and going, can't I just get the same amount of biblical truth from a Christian LPC or LMFT that I could at biblical and I get the psychology major and I get the certification, the licensure and what you just said kind of, you know, is at least an anecdotal example of how not necessarily, you know, Uh because (laughs) you went to a Baptist school. That's your undergrad was there. Yeah. Yeah. Undergrad and grad. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) there you have it. I mean, and that's no knock on you. It's really just more of like your, these are two different paths and you can obviously bring your faith. It's like they say, bring your faith to the the voting booth. You can bring your faith into the counseling room, but can you now, you know, in this day and age, can't, how much can you actually do that? Because, um, the ability for us as Christians to do that. And, and as you've, you know, described for us in this last hour is dwindling and that, that window of opportunity is, is kind of closing. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's really awesome that you're leaning that direction and, um, I'm excited for you. I think it's going to be really great. And I'm, I'm guessing you're going to have some people who are wondering now, do you do virtual counseling or is this only for people who are local to Kansas city? 
Yeah, I, so I do virtual and in person. I am licensed in Kansas and Missouri, so I can meet with clients who are anywhere within those states virtually. And then my office is in Leewood, Kansas. Okay, great to know. Um, any final thoughts or words of encouragement for someone listening who maybe, you know, um, either someone who is in this field or who uh, maybe maybe we could do two two kind of parting thoughts. Like, what would you say to the professional who's maybe like you evaluating their future, thinking about how do I continue to be a Christian in this space? Can I continue to be a Christian in this space? What's your, what's your word of wisdom for them? Uh, Yeah, I think my word of wisdom and maybe what I'm kind of learning in this process is that we can have compassion for people who struggle with things that are outside of our value system, we can absolutely have compassion for those people without um, affirming those Mm -hmm. things as good and true. Mm -hmm. Um, And that we have to ultimately, you know, what I've come to is like, we have to fear God over man when it comes to this stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's, I, I found myself at a crossroads where I, I have to make that choice. Like, like I have no other options yeah. at this point. I had to determine who am I going to fear? I'm fearing God in this. And, and so, yeah, mm. for any other professionals who are struggling with this, like me, that's where we have to go. Yeah, man, that's so, so good. Such good advice. Um, what about for the individual who um, feels like they need to see someone, talk to someone or evaluating that, you know, Christian therapist versus biblical counselor, integrationist, you know, what, what are your thoughts there? I just think, um, you, you just have to vet people, you know, if you are, um, if you find that there is a biblical counseling center near you, then that might be a good first step. If that's not the case, then, um, if you're looking for a person who is a licensed therapist, who is also saying that they're a Christian therapist, just have a phone call with them, mm-hmm. ask them the hard questions about their values and about, um, you know, what they are going to bring to that session. And, um, if it's not a good fit, that's okay. You know, you get on the phone with another person. Yeah. So what, um, just pushing deeper on that, what might be like an example of, something they would bring to that session? Like, would the, would the person be asking about, is it appropriate to ask a question? Like what theories do you subscribe to? Or is that Mm. too detailed? Like what, what would be a a pressing question on them that might reveal more? Yeah. So um, yeah. What theories is that's perfectly normal question to ask what kind of um, uh, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting the word? I mean, interventions, but no. Um, what kind of treatments do you mm-hmm. use? There we go. So what sorts of treatments do you use? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you bring faith into the picture? Um, so for some people who call themselves Christian counseling, that simply means that they pray, which mm-hmm. is like, that's fine. Like praying is good, but that may not be Mm-hmm. exactly what you need or are looking for. So, yeah. um, are you going to pray? Are we going to discuss scripture? Um, like how mm-hmm. comfortable are you with being able to pull scripture into mm-hmm. our discussions? Um, and you know, I know that these, this is hard by the way, uh, you know, in speaking to the person who might be struggling and is also trying to like research therapists, that's just, 
Mm. That's, that sounds daunting probably. Mm -hmm. So my, my recommendation for people is always like, make this as simple as possible. Write down five questions that you think are going to be the most important questions you want to know from this therapist and then ask them those questions. Mm -hmm. And if, if those answers don't satisfy you, you know, go to the next and ask the same questions. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Helpful advice. Thank you, Stephanie. Man, I appreciate your time and your wisdom and just your honesty in this discussion. And I will definitely be praying for you as you continue to process and figure out what's next. So, um, where can people follow you and find you online? Um, on Instagram, I am at hopeful and whole, and my website is hopeful and whole.com. And that's W H O L E. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you so much, Haley. Thanks for listening, you guys. I hope that conversation was encouraging and edifying for you. And I hope that uh, you'll share this episode with others who might find this interesting, who are kind of weighing um, the different factors of this conversation and interested in a perspective like this, someone who is a therapist and maybe isn't singing the praises of therapy the way that some are right now. I think it's, you know, we're hearing a lot of that and it's, it's helpful to hear from someone who kind of has a different perspective as well. So share this episode with your friends if you enjoyed it and I will see you next week on Kindled.